because I want people that have already something going against them to not have also the world going against them. I want us to stop making customers adapt to our technology by creating technology that is fundamentally adaptable to them. Welcome to Design Drives, your audio experience about what, how, and why design drives things forward. A podcast hosted by Sebastian Gear, together with forward-thinking design practitioners from around the world. In this episode, I talk with Laura Silva, design lead at Bank of America. Originally with a background in writing, she found a connection to design by taking the user to a journey, experience and story. She had the chance to work at both Amazon and now Bank of America and we look at the similarities of both experiences how she leveraged both her writing experience but also no personal experience as well as the accessibility work at Amazon in a new world. Designing for more inclusivity and diversity at Amazon was one topic we learned about where she worked on the search function for different markets. And we also learned why people even search with emojis. Furthermore, we dive into why everyone should consider accessibility and inclusion in the design process, why it's so important. And she does an amazing job in framing this and tells us why it's important for all of us in the community. Furthermore, we dive into her new role at Bank of America, where she drives things forward as the first designer fully dedicated to the topic of diversity, accessibility, and inclusion. Just like the previous episodes, this episode again is in collaboration with IDSA, the Industrial Designer Society of America. Enjoy. So I'm here with Laura Silva. Um, she's working at Bank of America as UX lead and I'm super excited to speak to you. Thank you. I'm excited to be here today. Uh, so we're going to speak a lot about accessibility and inclusivity and in design, mm -hmm. but maybe so the audience gets a little bit of a context in the beginning. Can you share your, your story, where you're from, and uh, how you got into design in the first place? Uh, well, I was a young girl. Just kidding. <laughs> I'm from Colombia, mm -hmm. originally. Uh, migrated to the United States uh, with my family back in 2006. Mm -hmm. It's been 13 years. Mm -hmm. I... Did not have a passion for design growing up. Actually, my my schooling is in writing. Mm -hmm. I have a writing degree mm -hmm. and a service design minor. Um, and service design is just about understanding a service and helping make it better. Mm -hmm. So it could be a coffee shop or it could be an app. That was your bachelor degree? You did, you did yeah, that was my bachelor degree, exactly. In Colombia? Yeah. No, it was in uh, Savannah, College of Arts oh, okay. and Design mm -hmm. in Savannah, Georgia. Because mm -hmm. I came here when I was 12. Mm -hmm. So I did middle school and high school in Florida and then moved to Savannah, Georgia to do college. Mm -hmm. Along with my brother also, uh, we both went to the same design school. And it was through him mm -hmm. that I found a passion for design because he helped me realize that Design and storytelling were very connected, right? Like, I, I'm an author, and I'm a writer, and it's all about taking the, um, you know, the audience or the reader from the beginning to the end of the story with uh, smoothly, making them feel something where you want them to feel something, and then at the end, making them feel like they have experienced something fantastic when they read your stories, or... And it's the same thing when, when it comes to UX, right? You, you take the user to a journey from the beginning to the end and you want them to feel something to the journey. You want them to not feel confused, to know exactly where to go. And at the end, feels, you know, with a clothing app, to feel satisfied that they did what they had to do. So I, he helped me realize that there was a connection between what I study and what I'm doing right now. Mm -hmm. And 
and also, you know, it just when I started working, uh, doing internships, um, I started with content creators, so creating content for UX, uh, for websites. And that's when I started noticing that I actually, actually had a passion for more than just creating the, the content. I had a passion for the designing of the experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also saw a lack of people who look like me in the design. So I was like, well, this is my chance. Mm-hmm. And that's how I started in design. Can you explain more what you mean with content in UX? Uh, content. So, for example, I worked in a dealership company that created websites for dealerships, uh, for places that sell cars. So I helped create like um, the titles of the pages, the content, like the written content that the pages will have explaining the cars. Uh, the the um, like they will design the visual of the car, and I will have to explain like the type of uh, tires and the type of mirrors and LED lights. So like I will have to create the actual con- like written content that the customer will read from the page. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, well, I don't want to do just that. I want to help create the whole experience. Mm-hmm. That was the content. Mm-hmm. So you, you studied service design, right? And mm-hmm. then, Along with writing. And then you did a couple of internships and then you went straight to the first job. Yeah. Yeah. At Amazon. All right. <laughs> uh, where, where did you do your, your internships? Um, I worked at, um, I work as a journal, a journalist. Um, that was my first internship. Uh, it, the journalist um, like company was based in Florida. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was remotely, so I was working from Savannah. Mm-hmm. And then I worked in a dealership company in Oskosh, Wisconsin, so close to Chicago. That and was where you worked on UX. Uh, yeah, that's what I started first to be like, okay, there's mm-hmm. this is what technology. But and I, and I actually like, without knowing, I actually started like learning how to code because I had mm-hmm. to code the webs. I had to code the content of the website myself. So I actually. I realized that I like started to learn how to code in the in the internship, and then I worked in a robotic company down in uh, West Texas. Um, in that place, I I focus on uh, social media reach, mm. so I helped create more content for their social media platform for the robotic. So I had to learn about robot robots, so I could learn so I could like write about it in their Instagrams and Twitter and Facebook. And then after that, I had an internship at Amazon as a UX designer. Mm-hmm. Kind of like a weird, it doesn't make sense. There's no, like, if you're trying to find the connection, there's no connection. There's no okay. normal, like, road trip to what I did. It's just like, you want to hire me? Okay, okay, okay. And then I did the internship in Amazon, uh, Amazon Search for the search team as a UX designer. And... It was really tough because I didn't have any experience in UX prior to that. Mm-hmm. I we took some like we took we took some classes since I went to an art school. We took some color theory classes and typography classes, but I didn't pay attention to those classes because I was studying writing, right? So it didn't really matter until I got to my last internship, and I was like, I should have, mm-hmm. I should have paid attention. It was really tough. It was really tough internship, and um, I was looking at it through a lens, they were just purely design, 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 design. And it wasn't until I um, discovered that I have a passion for people and for community and for inclusion that I did a, a work that was based on me helping people understand what they're buying, regardless of the language that they're buying it in. So United States have a lot of languages and all the technology is in English. 
So people that, of different languages that are learning English might not be able to utilize some technology because of the lack of translation. Mm-hmm. And that was what I focused on. And that's how I got hired because of the work that I did and that internship like that. Mm-hmm. And then I ended up being a UX designer at Amazon mm-hmm. as my first job with a writing degree. So mm-hmm. Interesting. Kind of weird. Very interesting, <laughs> very interesting you know, story. <laughs> Thank yeah. you. And um, so what was it in um, Amazon Seattle? Oh, yes. Yeah. Uh, and what what was the UX team working on? Was it uh, the, the core UX team working on the website of Amazon or uh, what kind so of part of the... We were search. So... Mm-hmm. Amazon search. Yeah, we were Amazon search. So we focus on the main search engine. Mm-hmm. Um, so all the way from uh, your when you type for looking for a sub, with a, with an object, whatever it is you're looking for, those the typing uh, place, the search space, the suggest the suggestion that we the inline suggestion that we give you, then the results, the widgets and all that experience. It it my team was around thirteen, twelve people. Um UX designer, product managers, um a design technologist, so help people who will help us uh, build prototypes. Mm-hmm. And we were in charge of creating the systems, um, the design systems for uh, everybody else. So for everything that we designed had to translate to all of our 13 markets. Uh, so Through translation, right? Yeah. yeah, to make sure that China will follow, I, I mean that Japan will follow our mm-hmm. uh, writing system, the Mexico and Brazil uh Italy, German, it was the, all the places where you, where you can shop, uh, they will have to follow what we designed. It. So mm-hmm. it was really interesting because we had to study like cultures and like how they shop and how yeah. people in those cultures shop and make sure that we had that in consideration when we designed it for the American public too. Yeah. I assume there is a, a, a nuance or a difference in terms of like how people are searching in certain you know, countries or how people are searching after products on Amazon.com, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, is that also what you mean with inclusivity and accessibility, you know, looking at these different cultures and the way how they interact with a uh, product or service? Yeah, well, the, the way that I noticed when I first started there is that the American market is kind of selfish. Right? Mm-hmm. We cannot say this is the way it is, and if you want it, you just have to adhere to what we're doing, mm-hmm. period. And I don't like that. So when I came to Amazon Search, I really wanted to make sure that we had in consideration the culture of other markets, and we really pay attention to translation, right? Um, to, to translating well, make, making sure that things actually make sense uh, in the other cont- uh, countries, um, making sure that whenever we did um, uh, web labs, that we had people from other nations that would come. Like if you live in Seattle and you were from another country or you mm-hmm. spoke another language, that you would come to these web labs so that you were part of us creating these guidelines that will pretty much affect everybody else. I, I didn't just want um, to have the average white American male dictating what we were going to do for everybody mm-hmm. else because the world doesn't look like that. The world is different, has so many different languages and cultures and people, personalities and genders and sexes and ages. So I really, my work was to really help um, the, well, not really help, kind of like make the researchers understand and, and the team understand, push, like really, really be annoying and understanding that we needed 
to diversify in a researcher in a research efforts because if you keep um, asking questions on the same type of people, we're gonna keep having the same answers, right? And the idea of being evolutionary, of being revolutionary, of the idea of of Amazon is to break the culture, right? To change it, and you cannot change it if you don't if you don't change the way you search and the way that you design and the people that influence your design thinking. Mm-hmm. Do you have an example of a of a of a difference in terms of the search behavior? And so, for example, uh, United States uh, focuses a lot on uh, reviews. Mm-hmm. We are driving power of, of United States is they focus, like, for example, we could track where customers uh, will click on a page, right? Mm-hmm. Where they will click on the app um, so that we will know what were the places that they were the more interested about. So some people will click on the image first. Some people will click on the title. Some people mm, okay. will click on the price. Mm-hmm. United States clicks a lot on the reviews. They want to read the reviews. They want to go straight to the reviews. They, they don't want to even look at the product. Just yeah. straight. Be, even before price, they look. They go straight to the reviews. Latin America goes straight to price. And then they go to reviews. Mm. Uh, and then they go to images. So like those type of behaviors are important to understand because if you're designing something that has very small reviews, then United States is going to have a hard time trying to find them. And then mm. your design might fail because the society that you're designing for focuses on reviews. Mm-hmm. You know, And if you design for Latin America and you make really, really small prices, then your design might fail because that culture focuses on the price. Mm. So that's kind of like yeah. what it means with designing for yeah, different so cultures. So from, from, from that kind of research, you could determine uh, design requirements, right? Or uh, requirements for you know, certain cultures in terms of like adjustments, right? Exactly. And it's, I guess it has to play into the design language system. In a yeah, way, right? yeah. And we had like, we had India, we had a really big market in India and we had a really big market in Japan. And we had a designer in Japan who will help us create a different version of what we were designing from America mm-hmm. to Japan because it's like, day and night, right? It's completely different. Mm. So we were, we made sure that whatever we were designing in, in America didn't disrupt how people in Japan interact with their, um, you know, the app. Because America is very slick, very simple, a lot of white space, very refined. Japan is just colors, 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 flash, flashing mm. lights, flashing lights. So we were making sure that whatever we design navigated through both both you know cultures seamless and like with the same route but with different outcomes mm-hmm. and like, that takes that takes conscious that's a that's a that's a conscious decision that you have to make as a design team mm-hmm. as a product manager as a manager as a designer consciously say like who is our target audience where are they located and how is their culture we need to research that culture and understand it otherwise our design will maybe be great in this area, but fail miserably in another. And that's not because the design is bad. It's because the research wasn't done. Mm-hmm. So then in your role, did you sort of horizontally, you know, check in with the different markets on certain requirements or certain you know, usability topics and UX uh, topics? Or did you work then? I just wonder because, you know, the website is probably developed locally for each market, right? Mm-hmm. And to build on the same framework or something. So, uh, you know, I'm wondering how this coordination of you know, insights worked. Well, we had amazing people in my team, amazing UX designer, um, senior level UX designers that 
um, really um, delegated places of, of the experience uh, to different designers. And we, we had a lot of conversation. We were a team that really had weekly one-on-ones. We would check in with each other and share what everybody was working on. So that way, um, and it was a very um, free space where you were allowed to ask questions and really dive deep. So whenever somebody was showing their design in Japan, we were able to like ask questions and make sure that like we would learn from each other. And um, whenever they were talking about new research, we were all able to see who the people were, where were they located, their age, and like where in the in the United States they were gonna do research, so that we could like give our opinions and change things that really needed to be changed if, if we could. Uh, but my focus after uh, some of my first work in Amazon was had to do with inclusion. Mm-hmm. Uh, with uh, like for example if you search with an emoji mm-hmm. uh, oh, it happens you can, I did say emoji. that yes I did some yeah people because emoji now is a normal way of, of speaking yeah. and it's not I, just I never typed an emoji into a search engine you no, can no, do no. it right. and if you do it now you know who helped design that because okay. it, was, it was me because my idea was uh, emojis are universal Right? It doesn't matter what language you speak, mm-hmm. you're gonna use an emoji and it has a definition, mm-hmm. it's a visual clue. Um, so I said, well, if United States have so many cultures, not everybody speaks English, like I said, if we, they're able to search with emojis, they're not gonna need translation. So my idea was to, if you can put a dress, then dresses will fall. You know, if you can mm-hmm. put a swimsuit emoji, then swimsuits will fall. Mm-hmm. And then you didn't need to like write the actual word but you could use the emoji. So that was like one of my first works mm-hmm. at Amazon. And it was like, I had so much fun mm-hmm. doing that. I had to learn. Um, I had to study different cultures because we pushed that to all uh, 13 markets. So I had to search what were the emojis more used in Japan and in Germany and in France and in Italy. Mm-hmm. And then I, like, I was able to work with that. Um, but then after a year, I, I focused solely on accessibility in Amazon search too. Mm-hmm. So helping create guidelines for accessibility there, helping um, create a QA um, metrics for ADA compliance, helping the developers understand how to code for accessibility, mm-hmm. helping the designers learn how to design and redline for accessibility, how, how to minimize touch, touch points, um, how to create better alt text contextual alt text or images, for example. And that was my passion. And I was working to that until I left. Mm-hmm. Was it also connected to the um, Amazon Echo and the, the voice interactions? No, that part. It was, it, was, it, was, it was solely on the... Amazon is extremely big. Yeah, that yeah. is... That we, we focus on search. Mm-hmm. And it was only on search. And, and, but I was able to like really interact with the people who had to do with accessibility on Echo and on the tablet. So I was really connected with that, um, with, with those groups, mm-hmm. but it didn't affect what, what we did in, in search. It didn't affect all those places because mm-hmm. it's so big that the technology that we create doesn't involve everybody else, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. But as I just was thinking, this would be another different, uh, interesting space, right? Because, uh, I just in the last two years I learned a lot on um, uh, multimodality and um, you know uh, 
for example, voice interaction, right? Mm -hmm. And these are also very different depending on the culture, right? So uh, the way you, you know, approach, um, you know, um, voice interfaces mm -hmm. is, is very different also in culture. So I assume, like, you could take a lot of principles or insights, probably you generate it on the website, you could generate, you can or abstract in a way that would be useful for other touch points as well, right? Oh, 100%. Uh, Before I left, we were talking about making... Um, the use user that use um voice talk mm -hmm. a voiceover which is a tool that is innate to the iphone where people who have visual disabilities or mobility disabilities yeah. mm -hmm. can like be read what mm -hmm. they have on the phone dictation right yeah mm -hmm. um we were we were trying to think about a way that it would be more like alexa that it was more a conversation experience in search so we were trying to change like override the the voiceover of the phone so mm, that we could have our own little, like, what are you looking for? And, like, you know, use the filters as questions mm. to, like, uh, you know, um, kind of eliminate options for the users so that they could have, like, just a set of, set of items that match better mm -hmm. what they're looking for. Mm -hmm. That's what we were working on right before I left. Mm -hmm. Super interesting. And then after Amazon, you joined Bank of America, right? I did. Yeah. Kind of like a whoosh. <laughs> like a flip. Yeah, quite different shift in the industry, right? <laughs> totally. Totally. Uh, so how did that happen? In order for you to be at Amazon, for the, in, from the beginning, you need a card, right? You mm. need to put in your card. Yeah. Uh, so that's... The, it, interesting uh, that's actually yeah. That's actually the beginning of, of the experience. It doesn't start with you opening the app. It starts with you having a card. Mm-hmm. And with my passion with accessibility and because of some family matters, I realized that people who have disabilities um, don't have autonomy that much. Mm -hmm. Or if you were born with it, um, the technology doesn't adapt to you. And if you happen to get a disability later on in life, the technology that you knew is no longer accessible to you. Okay. Um, and... When it comes to money, being able to have, being able to control your own money means a lot. Being mm -hmm. able to uh, set up an account on Netflix, set up an account on Amazon, uh, pay your water bill, right, mm -hmm. by yourself without the help of somebody else, uh, means, means a lot. Like, mm -hmm. we take it for granted, but if it goes away, uh, it changes everything. It changes everything as uh, who you are as a human being. Mm -hmm. And... Um, My dad had an accident and became uh, physically impaired. Mm. And that oh. changed my whole perspective on, on accessibility. It, okay. it meant it, it became real for me. Yeah. And his whole ability to be the provider and to just, you know, be around and he, he don't have it anymore. So knowing that he was a businessman. So he had his card and he, you know, swipe and buy and mm. here and now... He's not able to do any of that. Uh, so understanding the power of money, understanding the power of owning your own money, owning your destiny, um, really motivated me to move into the financial industry. Yeah, And now I work uh, in the accessibility excellent team for Bank of America, um, but I'm the only one. And I'm the only accessibility UX designer in mm -hmm. the whole company of Bank of America. Oh, wow. I know. <laughs> It's a small little thing. So uh, there's a lot of teams who focus on accessibility and people who work on accessibility within their work. 
but I am the only angle, right? yeah, but I'm the only UX accessibility UX designer there. So I solely focus on accessibility, on making sure that whatever we design follows some guidelines on helping teams create the the design systems are actually accessible, that the colors are color contrast corrected, mm-hmm. that we really take consideration touch points and um, coding the right way. Mm-hmm. And I have a team with me that is uh, 100% motivated, people who have been in the industry for 20 plus years, uh, who know the in and out of, um, a, of making sure that things are compliant. Mm-hmm. But then my side is to make it more about people. Because mm-hmm. one thing is to make things compliant, to check a box. Mm-hmm. You know, and another thing is to design having people in mind from the beginning. Mm-hmm. So that's that's my side, mm-hmm. and I'm the only one who's doing that in the whole. Yeah, super entity. fascinating. I'm really, yeah, no, it's really exciting. Mm-hmm. I've had a fantastic, been seven months mm-hmm. since I started, and it's been just like running, 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 in meetings and meetings, and looking at other people design and. Mm-hmm. Um, creating guidelines for my team and there's a help teaching them about UX because I'm the first UX designer mm-hmm. in the team. Yeah, bring awareness about like what's possible. Yes, yeah. and they're they're like you know there's a lot of friction sometimes because they don't under- UX is a place where it is hard to convince people if you're not around it, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and don't know the the framework and like the playground so much. Right? Exactly, yeah. so it's kind of like it's friction and teaching and back and forth. It's a it's a movement. It's just nothing but movement. What I'm doing nowadays. So I'm really happy, I'm really mm-hmm. excited. Mm-hmm. And I get to travel and talk about accessibility and about inclusion and, um, you know, bring what I've learned from those, uh, from like a situation like like this conference, for example, and take it to my team and teach them and show them that what we do is actually like being talked about in so many places mm-hmm. too. That's great. Yeah. yeah. So I'm wondering a little bit about the, the UX insights you generated at Amazon. Right, mm-hmm. where they are somehow applicable in your work at Bank of America. Speaking about accessibility insights, right? You yeah. you you were talking about uh, principles you came up with about accessibility. Mm-hmm. How transferable they were for um, your job at Bank of America? Oh, it was it was huge because at Amazon I didn't have to focus so much on the uh, when you are ADA compliance when you are um, by law. Everything that has to do with a service to a customer has to be ADA compliance. Mm-hmm. That means it has to be accessible for people with disabilities. Mm-hmm. And the bank, because it's a law, they follow that mm-hmm. to the T. Mm-hmm. You know, like that's it's, it's a bank. You know what I'm saying? You don't, you don't want to sue a bank. There's so many companies that get sued because they're not compliant. Like others like Beyonce.com got sued because they weren't accessible for a person who was blind. Mm-hmm. Um, but for example, now that I move from like this visual interaction, customer service place for Amazon to Bank of America, that is like laws and it's very law, uh, like focus. Mm -hmm. Now I get to like include that into the law. So it's not, it's not just about law. Now it's about customers. It's about making sure that. We making sure that whenever there's other teams that are creating different um, different places in Bank of America that they take in consideration not just the law of being ADA compliant but also 
how customers mm -hmm. feel about their experience. Mm -hmm. uh, the difference between uh, somebody who is blind and somebody who is low vision, mm -hmm. or somebody who have a temporary disability to somebody who have a uh, like forever disability. So helping those those are the things that I learned at Amazon. And now I get to move them to Bank of America and combine them with the legal. Mm -hmm. So it's like a whole full circle. So mm -hmm. not only are we like by law ADA compliant, but by UX ethical, mm -hmm. we actually like also compliance on mm -hmm. that area. So it's kind of mm -hmm. like a full circle. Mm -hmm. Could we un unpack this a little bit to make this uh, sort of a, maybe a bit more tangible? What could be um, principles? Um, um, color contrast, color for example. Contrast, for example right? Making sure... Um, a great, a great, like making sure that if you design buttons, that the color of the legend inside of the, uh, that the color of the word inside mm -hmm. of the button, like star, cancel, press, push, whatever mm -hmm. it is, is um, the contrast is a three, three over, it's a three point four, mm -hmm. um, so that people we have that have maybe like a color deficiency mm -hmm. can read the mm -hmm. letters inside of. Mm -hmm. Instead of like the button, yeah. Mm -hmm. Or I think uh, it would be cool for the for the audience to understand a little bit if they would work on a let's say on any digital product, right? Yeah. What would be your basically? You may already mentioned color, right? Yeah. It's maybe one uh, aspects, but what could be UX principles basically to make the product or you know digital product more accessible and at what at what topics you know people should look at? Um, definitely color. That's mm -hmm. one of the biggest one. Yeah. Uh, because we have uh, a 2.5 billion uh, customers in the United States who have some type of visual disability that involves okay. colors in certain, certain ways. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of tools that you can use to check the color contrast of whatever your design is, of the, the background against the font, mm -hmm. the size mm -hmm. of the fonts against a uh, type of color. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not just a button, you know, like whatever, whatever there's a color, Uh, on top of another, you have to check that it's accessible. Mm -hmm. And there's just like colorcontrol.com or something like that. You can just mm -hmm. find it mm -hmm. online um, to verify. Like, that's one. Um, anytime that there's a visual, that there's an image, uh, there's a photo, that there's um, um, anything visual, like uh, something that is not like a, a letter, not something that is not written, it needs to have all text, alternative text. Mm -hmm. And that is something that If you don't have a content uh, creator, if you don't have somebody that writes mm -hmm. into your team, mm -hmm. it's the job of the UX designer to tell the developers what is the alt text that this image is going to have. Mm -hmm. So, for example, um, in an opening, in a homepage of an app, you might have uh, a happy face pointing to the sun. I don't know, you mm -hmm. know? And if you don't give uh, the developer a specification, the developer might just code it as like JPEGs A005555. Mm -hmm. And the user that is using a screen reader, when they get to that part of your experience, they're not going to hear happy face pointing at sun. They're going to hear JPEG 005. Mm -hmm. So it's our job to create uh, alt text for images so that people that, for example, at Amazon, if you touch... Uh, the picture of whatever object, you will hear the title of the object. Mm -hmm. So it's a shoe, you will hear whatever brand, size 11, whatever, whatever, whatever the description is, you will see it. So that's part of the UX design mm -hmm. job. Um, you have to make sure that the touch points are uh, 
at least 44 pixels. That's the right size for touch point, not just for fingers, but for um, there's a lot of users that use uh, devices that help them tap and touch. Mm-hmm. They connect it to their hands or they connect it to their forehead. And it touch, they move their head to touch and type or to yeah, scroll. Yeah. Um, I think Apple did something similar. Yes, right? exactly. Accessibility Apple, in iOS. Apple, right? uh, Apple uh, and Microsoft are one of, the, one of the biggest companies when it comes to accessibility, like really from the ground up with year years of experience that uh, have been focusing on, on customers with disabilities. So mm-hmm. they have really great products. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's something that UX designers also have to pay attention is that if you make things that are way too close to each other, um, people that might have, for example, arthritis might not be able to move their finger exactly where it should be. Or people who might have some type of uh, physical limitation where the hand shake, for example, mm-hmm. might not be able to touch the exact place where you want it to go because two elements are too close to each other. So they might touch the other one and they, they might like cancel instead of continue, you know? So mm-hmm. those parameters of space yeah. Which is just is just UX design, right? Making sure that things are have correct space is more is much more than just making it pretty. It's it's about making it accessible for customers because they need that space mm-hmm. for the apparatus for the hands to move forward. So it's like it's a list. There's so many things that I can I give you. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but like those are like three examples that I can think of that yeah. people can relate when it comes to UX that yeah directly translate to accessibility i i guess like there's so much to improve on like so many products right because i think it's often a white spot i think is a little bit um you know it's often not the, the, if you if you know, products or services get created um, it's not always included right yeah so people sometimes forget about think these topics so so i i, you know, I guess like there's uh job of a lifetime right <laughs> i was gonna say that like, i have a like, job forever uh, yeah it's going to be like so much to improve right like, well the way that I, ends, right? I mean you could even like outside of you know the um addictive products right i mean yeah yeah i mean you know people there's like two levels to it right there's so many things to improve and then there's humanity and let me let me unpack that so okay we're, we, all of us, we're all getting old, right? Our bodies are changing. Our hands are hurting. We're type every day. We're getting, um, we're getting carpal tunnel 20 mm-hmm. years before we're supposed to get mm-hmm. it. Our vision is getting worse because we're constantly looking at computers. Our neck is messing up. Like, our bodies are changing. Yeah. Uh, we're getting older. That just, uh, accidents might happen. Uh, diseases, illness happen. And that will never stop. That's not going to stop. It doesn't matter how great the technology is in medicine. Everybody's going to get know, you know, and things like this happen. So that's one side that is, is a constant. It, that's, that's something that it doesn't matter how much people evolve. It's always going to be mm-hmm. the same. And then in the technology part, we're creating these amazing ideas and, proje- and projects, but we are kind of like, having a tunnel vision when it comes to our customers. Mm-hmm. We're not realizing that we ourselves, we are customers and that we have to design not for us today, but for us tomorrow mm-hmm. and for us in the event of something that might happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's, that's how I see uh, accessible UX design. It's designing for 
person who might have a disability, but it's pretty much designing for yourself. Because mm-hmm. it could happen like my, my dad. You might yeah. wake up one day and just not be able to move your hands anymore. Or a loved one. Or you just get old and you get arthritis. You know, like things like that happen to everybody. Mm-hmm. It's a normal, it's a, it's a law of life. Uh, so the more that we start um, paying attention to our customers, to, to who our customers really are, to having constraints within our designs and saying, look, we're going to dedicate personas that are as diverse as the world around us. We're going to have personas who um, might not understand the main language that our design is created. We're going to have personas that are that have some visual or, or cognitive or mobility impairment. We're going to have personas that are have very affluent and they can afford to go to Whole Foods all the time. We're going to have personas... Um, who might not have it that way and they have to take three buses to go to a shopping market. Having that diversity into your customers will make your work be more robust and actually go the distance because it will reflect the reality of the environment that we're in mm-hmm. and it will be forever. It will, you can improve. We can improve from a base uh, from a base level. So everybody that you thought about, everybody's included. So you can improve at the same rate. Mm -hmm. If you focus on one person, then one of your work might be on 100%, and then all these other customers might be just 10, 10, 10, 10. Mm. So when you realize you you have to improve these customers and then bring this one all the way up and all the way up and all the way up, and then your your, your design dies because half of the population can use it because Mm. you didn't think about them. Mm. That's that's kind of like how I see it. So it's just beyond just... ADA, it's just, it just culture, it's people, it's mm-hmm. the reality of, of everybody, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's yeah, super fascinating. And I think it's also great because, you know, obviously, you know, the podcast is called Design Drive, so uh, what is the impact of design, what can design drive for? And I think it's a great example where designers can have a big impact, right? Mm-hmm. And actually, you know, uh, uh, impact people and, you know, make uh, products accessible, so... Uh, I think in you know in that regard, it's, I think it's a it's a great story. Also. I mean, a lot of a lot of designers, and not just UX, but like visual designers, and um, with all due respect, industrial designers, mm-hmm. a lot of them design pretty things, mm-hmm. they design beautiful designs, things that people can put in the shelf, mm-hmm. right? But that's it. It's an, and I think that like it's I'm not. I'm not saying I'm not above anybody else or what I am is better, what I do is better than anything else. But I do think that the great design, the amazing design, the design that changed the world is the design that actually thinks about their customers and their customer needs of today Mm. and what might happen tomorrow, regardless of how beautiful it is visually, regardless of if it's slick and has corners you know regardless of that part that part is important of course don't get me wrong how how visual it is like an iphone is gorgeous but an iphone also have amazing accessibility features you know what i'm saying yeah so it's labeling up it's making sure that things are beautiful but also like available for people who need them and might want them and people everywhere Mm. so and I think there's a, a rising awareness about accessibility and design, but I think we're not there yet when it comes to no. um, the, I think, culturally uh, the awareness when it comes to that. Mm-hmm. You, uh, how's your opinion on that? Where you see it, you see that trend also. There's, you know, the the, the awareness is rising. The awareness um, is rising. It is. It is. Mm-hmm. And I think it's because this is it's because of all the new generation of designers. Mm-hmm. The new generation of designers, I think, is it doesn't come from the same background. Mm-hmm. 
right? Uh, there's more diversity within the designers, people who come from different backgrounds, who have my different families, uh, different abilities themselves. And they bring their, those ideas to their work. So that's why you see all these new things that involve so many people uh, that, that are inclusive, that are um, diverse into the, like in the idea itself because it comes from diverse designers. And those designers might have physical impediments, you know, themselves, or might have families who have that. And those are the people who really drive this idea. There's, there have been in the past key figures that create the base for accessibility, but one person in one company is not enough, mm, right? Yeah, it's not enough at all. So we have now, like I said, a different designers that within their work, they make sure that things are accessible when they design it. Like motion media designers understand that there's some type of visual that can potentially um, affect people that have seizures. Mm-hmm. Uh, they might, their visual affects the brain and then mm-hmm. they can have a seizure because of that. So they design a motion media that will prevent people from having seizures. Mm-hmm. But that, that only happens if you really think about that within your team. And I, and I you know, I I said that the more diversity that we have in technology, the more that these um, ideas of accessibility, of sustainability, of, um, you know, green ecology, of saving this world, mm. of, of breaking down barriers, of immigration, of uh, political policies, of uh, access to water, uh, access to electricity, things, things like these basic uh, human needs are going to be changed and are going to be fixed by a diverse group of designers in all these small companies and big companies. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I'm kind of hopeful mm-hmm. that this new generation of millennials and Generation Z and whomever else comes after that, um, you know, wants to be a part of that. But it takes, it takes us making sure yeah. that they get to these places, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's our job to mentor them, to help get, uh, drive scholarships to specific groups, um, to make sure that, you know, if somebody um, from X, Y, and C university asks us for help, that we actually give feedback back or help them uh, with their resume. Or it, it is, is a one-on-one, right? Like, we want more people to come into this space of design. We need to make sure that we help them get into the space of design. You also mentor at uh, Girls Who Code, right? You know, like I gotta be part of what I'm talking about. So I do, yeah. I do mentor. I was a mentor in Girls Who Code. Mm-hmm. Can you tell a little bit about what the program is about and uh, what the, the work is about? Uh, well, Girls Who Code, uh, they partner with a lot of companies. This one partnered with um, Bank of America. And these girls were amazing. Uh, young girls um, under the age of 17, if I'm not wrong. Uh, some of them never having touched anything that has to do with coding before in the life. They committed to a whole summer. They gave up their summer, come to these uh, comp- like whatever company mm-hmm. you know room, and 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 learn how to code in a in a summer. Mm-hmm. And that was amazing because there were those were little girls who young women, those young women who like came from super different backgrounds. Being in Texas, I saw a lot of Latino girls, first-generation, straight immigrants, um, uh, Muslim women, 
um, Asian women. I mean, they were just like, it was a plethora of colors and cultures in that room mm -hmm. learning how to code. Mm -hmm. And it was beautiful to see that because yeah. now those are the girls who are going to be taking our jobs in a few years. Mm -hmm. So I'm excited. I'm yeah, excited for that. Yeah, really fascinating. Yeah, it was really, really great to see them. And at, at, at the end, they learned how to code. Yeah. After seven weeks, now they have the possibility of putting coding in the resume whenever they're going to have an internship. And maybe, you know, being in Girls Who Code, being in that program might be the reason why their families come out of poverty. Mm -hmm. It might be that, that one, yeah, that in like one changing thing mm -hmm. that will take them to the next level. Mm -hmm. Can you maybe, to, you know, just to you know, get the connection between the topic of inclusivity, which we just started to touch on, on and the accessibility, mm -hmm. the connection between the, the two topics. Um, obviously, they're interlinked, uh, but um, you, you sort of have a feed in both areas, right? Accessibility <laughs> and inclusivity. So can you share a little bit about how these two topics uh, relate? Well, inclusion is, um, is like the pizza, mm -hmm. right? Like, it's like the whole pizza. And it has different slices represent different areas uh, that need work. So mm -hmm. one slice could be accessibility, another slice could be women in design, another slice could be immigrants in design, uh, making like you know every every slice represents a group. I love the whole pizza, but it's very hard to have uh, a hand in everything, right? Mm -hmm. So I try to focus on the one that kind of touches everybody equally. Because accessibility, disabilities, has no race, has no age, has no culture. Mm, it's it, very global. Huh? It hits you regardless of if you're super rich or super poor. However, being able to be a, pers a person that gives back to society, a, a person who is integrated into society, is different around uh, ages and cultures and gender and race because of money because of technology. So if we can help create technology that um, also doesn't see these, these differences, that anybody can use it, then we can bring everybody along with us. Uh, mm -hmm. Because usually people who have disabilities, the only way that they live on government assistance, um, they're unable to work, they're, they lose their house, they live with their parents or a relative, they need help. Um, if you don't have a lot of money, If you have money, then you kind of like afford better doctors, better braces, better surgeries, better therapy, uh, especially therapy, um, a better technology that will let you type, you know, better screen readers, better, you know, everything has to do with the technology and it has to do with the money. So I saw that in the whole pizza, accessibility was one that didn't discriminate, uh, but Within, but within accessibility, there is discrimination, and it translates to the money and the accessibility and the, the ability to, to have technology based on mm -hmm. where you are in the world and your circumstances. So that one, I thought that was like what I could benefit the most and what I could learn the most and the, what I could make the most impact um, because I want people that have already something going against them to not have also the world going against them. I want us to stop making customers adapt to our technology but create technology that is fundamentally adaptable to them. Mm -hmm. And that's that's and so that's the part of accessibility where it belongs in like 
the slice of this whole pizza. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really powerful. And it's, again, it's a great. I think it's a, a great story where I think really you know designers can you know, come in and have a really big impact. Um, so yeah, um, I think we need to you know wrap this up unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, <laughs> thank you so much for sharing that. It's a really powerful story and it's really amazing what you're doing. No, I'm 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 happy to be here. This is this is my passion, as you guys can see, and I hope that more designers take consider take in consideration their surroundings and the customer that they uh, interact with, so that one day I am actually out of the job because nobody's gonna need me to teach them anything else. Uh, so that's actually my There's hope. There's a missing perspective. Yeah. On that. That's actually my hope. That is that one day I just gonna have to find something else mm-hmm. because everybody has in, in, in consideration accessibility. Mm-hmm. But until then, I'm gonna be just be fighting against everybody else in the meantime. So, all right, thank you. Thank you guys. That was the episode. If you want to give us feedback on the podcast, have something to contribute to the next episode, or just want to get in touch, feel free to connect with us either on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram messages, or simply via the designdrives.org website. We love to hear from you.